Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day if I could start doing videos of the podcast episodes, and I was like, no. I know a lot of people do it. Let me, let me explain to you why I don't do it. One, I'm usually recording this in the middle of the night. I'm usually sitting in my loft with no lights on speaking into the microphone. I don't have my hair and makeup done. And also, as I'm recording right now, I have, I'm sitting in a blanket. Like the blanket is wrapped over my head and then like swooshed all around me. Like all you can see is my face. Like, is this really what y'all want to see on a video recording? I do not think so. People put a lot of effort into that. And if you want to be like, Demetria, you're lazy because you're not. I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Oh. oh, I'm laughing and nothing's funny. The world is a shit show. And we're going to talk all about that shit show at the end of the episode. But I would at least like to talk about the few good things we have in our lives right now. One of the good things I found this week was Jasmine Sullivan's new album, her long-awaited, much-anticipated new album, Hotels. Now, I have not listened to the entire album. I really only listen to music in the car. I got like two songs on the way to the post office, and I probably would have had four, but I had to stop and replay one of them twice. What's the name of the song? Something about dick. And I was like, ma'am... So next time I do a post office drop, which when I'm done recording this podcast, I will do. I'll get into some more of the album. But so far, so good. I'm a huge Jasmine Sullivan I got to pick fan. up your feelings. I understand and why I had she to needed a break. I had to replay that a couple times. And I, over I had to replay that a couple times back. before. I had to what replay that good? one a couple times. I saw a lot of people talking about the And then I did the drop and I got to. It's a French show on Netflix. It's a TV series. I think it's six episodes based on a very popular French story about a white guy. And in this version, the lead is a black guy. In the show, he's Senegalese. It reminded me in some ways of Thomas Crown Affair. Not the original, the one with Pierce Brosnan. That's one of my favorite films ever. Like I, I can watch Thomas Crown Affair over and over and over. But it's, it's like that, but with the black dude. I remember when I talked about Bridgerton, one of the, um, the common complaints was there's not a black woman love interest. So I'll just give you fair warning. His love interest is not black. If that is a deal breaker for the TV that you enjoy, no judgment. I'm just giving you a heads up that that might not be a good show for you. But I enjoyed it. I'm wondering if I will enjoy this Sex in the City reboot. HBO Max is bringing Sex in the City back to TV. Sans Samantha, which was most folks' favorite character. I don't know what they're going to do about Samantha. Because I feel like Samantha and Carrie were the reason people watched the show. It definitely went for Miranda or Charlotte. And I like them both, but I never tuned in to be like, oh, I wonder what Miranda's up to. But Kim Cattrall, who played Samantha and Sarah Jessica Parker, do not get along at all in real life. Sarah Jessica Parker tries to pretend like, oh, no, it's one big happily family. And Kim Cattrall is like, nah, fuck you. So I'm not excited, but I will tune in. Sex and the City was one of my favorite shows when it was on TV. It has not aged well at all. It's actually almost painful to watch. As a society, we have evolved, some of us, many of us, have evolved our thinking on relationships and privilege and whiteness and representation a whole lot since Sex and the City was on the air to the point that 
you watch the show and it's just blatantly, what's the word? Exclusionary. I haven't gone back and watched the films, but I remember even when the film, the first film came out, the second one was just xenophobic as fuck. But the first film, I remember they like they, they heard the criticism about the lack of black characters, but they threw Jennifer Hudson in there as Carrie's black assistant. I remember at the time being like, yeah, so when we said we wanted a black girl, we wanted a black girl who was like on par with the white women on the show, not like the helper assistant type. I'm glad Jennifer Hudson got a check, but that's, that's not the role we were looking for. It, it was very tone deaf and it became more obvious over time. They just announced that the show is a go. I don't know who will be in the writer's room. I don't know if I'm executive producer who was over the show the first go-round. I don't know if he will be back in charge. So we'll see. I'll give it a go. But I do hope that this time around they make the show more diverse in the cast, in the city. New York City is one of the most diverse places on earth. It was alarming how white that show was. Like once you get off the Upper West Side, it becomes quite colorful. But the show did not reflect that. So we'll see. Oh, remember last week we talked about the 22-year-old woman who attacked the 14-year-old in the lobby of a New York City hotel? That woman, that 22-year-old, went on CBS earlier this week to talk to Gail King in a disaster of an interview. I know why she did the interview, because she's been painted as a monster. And I assume that she, with her lawyer by her side, decided they were going to do this interview so they could change the public perception or they could tell their side of the story. It was horrific. So the, the woman's face has been plastered all over the TV and the internet. The father of the boy who was attacked, he uploaded a video. The hotel also released video of this woman charging at and hopping on top of the 14-year-old boy that she believed to have her phone. So she and her lawyer sit down with Gail to do this interview. She shows up in what looks like a disguise. She has these big glasses on. She has on a baseball cap that says, Daddy. Gail said before the interview, her lawyer had asked her to take it off. She refused. She has on like casual wear. She's not even trying to present herself like, you know, the, the clothes people put on when they're trying to look respectable. Like, I'm not the type of person that would do the things that you accused me of, even though it's on video. None of that accoutrement. So she starts off saying that she's a super sweet person. And she was like, you know, this idea that they're saying that I'm racist. Like, I can't be racist because I'm not white. She's, I think, Puerto Rican, Greek, and something else. And Gail was like, so, like, are you saying that, like, only white people can be racist? I wish that was how it works. That's not quite how it works. The, the real zinger of the interview, which I was like, yo, just lock this broad up now. Just put her under the jail. So she was like, people keep saying because I asked this guy... And specifically, she says, guy, she says, because I asked this guy if he had my phone, like people are calling me racist. And Gail was like, well, there's a little bit more to the story. No, because on video, you are seen attacking a 14 year old who didn't have your phone like the hotel had your phone. And so she was like, yes, I did get my property back as if that was important to this conversation. Gail goes on to reiterate that. The issue is not just accuse this kid, but you physically attacked him. They're not in the same studio. Gail is in studio in New York. It was seen that the girl is in California. She's sitting outside again with her lawyer next to her, and they're having this conversation via Zoom, Skype, whatever, through a laptop with Gail. 
The girl gets tired of Gail talking. She raises her hand and she does an open and shut motion and she tells Gail enough. Child, I like to jump through that goddamn screen. It wasn't even directed at me, but I was like the utter disrespect. Yes, in speaking to your elder like that, but also speaking to anyone like that. Who says enough to someone? That's crazy. Especially for someone who's trying to clean up their public image because everyone thinks they're a monster. Ma'am, you're proving the perception right. You're not only an adult woman who went and hopped on a child because you thought the kid stole your phone. And then you get on national TV and be like, enough. To the interviewer, girl, under the jail. And apparently, ma'am has had like a series of problems. She's since been arrested, by the way. That is not her first arrest. She's had a couple of DUIs. Hold on. Maya Ponsetto, if I don't, I didn't say her name. Maya Ponsetto. I'm reading from the New York Post now. It says, weeks before she falsely accused a black teen of stealing her iPhone in a Manhattan hotel, Ponsetto can be seen on October 3rd footage outside of a Chevron gas station with her mom. As the officer tries to place her in cuffs, she resists, and he is seen wrestling her to the ground. I'm not even touching you, she is heard shrieking. I just think you guys are like a joke. There are gang members that are killing people right now, and you're arresting a girl. According to records obtained by TMZ, her blood alcohol level was allegedly twice the legal limit, and she was charged with a DUI. This is just one of several cases that she's facing. Five days earlier, she was placed on probation after pleading no contest to a drunk driving arrest from May 28th in Los Angeles. And last February, Jesus, Ponsetto and her mother were charged with public intoxication and battery after a dust-up with cops at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Ma'am. On January 9th, she was hauled back to New York in police custody. She was arraigned on charges of attempted robbery, attempted assault, endangering the welfare of a child, and grand larceny. Jesus. This is from the New York Post on January 11th. So this is after the Gail King interview. She's still claiming that the 14-year-old boy stole her phone. Huh? She acknowledged on the Gail King interview the hotel had her phone. She said that on camera. I watched her say it. But the New York Post, citing the Daily Mail, when she arrived back in L.A., the press was waiting for her. A Daily Mail videographer asked her, why did you think that kid took your phone? Because he was black? And she says, no, because he did. She remained mum, however, when asked if she was racist or had a drinking problem. Her claim contradicts her own lawyer who insisted she is sorry and blamed her client's attack on being a scared girl who lost her mind for a minute. Scared of what? White folks love to be like, oh, I'm scared of something. Why didn't you run? Remember the lady in the Central Park case? She called the police and she was like, oh, I'm scared. This black man, you were scared, but you ran up on him. Same situation. My client was scared. But yet she ran up on a black man and his black son. If you were scared, why'd you run up on them? They were scared of you. You're the one hopping on people. Like I said, under the jail. This woman is not safe for civil society. What else is going on? There's so much. There's so much. I picked the right time to go two days a week because 
I was going over the topics for this week and I've got stuff for today and I've got stuff for Friday. I was like, nothing else can happen or I'm going to have to start bumping issues. So Vice President-elect Madam Kamala Harris is on the cover of Vogue, which to say it sounds amazing. Getting the cover of Vogue is a huge accomplishment. It is considered rare air. However, because it's 2021 and like nothing comes without a hitch. Kamala Harris being on the cover of Vogue is quite controversial. And not necessarily because of Vice President-elect. I just like saying it. Not because of who she is. But because the cover, at least the first one that Vogue released, was ungood. It was an ungood cover. The cover, she has an aesthetic that she likes. She likes to wear a boxy black suit jacket with a narrow leg. And when she's working, she'll put on a heel. But when she's just running around, she likes to put on her chucks. No problem. I'm very mindful not to critique the fashion choices of Kamala Harris because her job is not to be a fashionista. I would love to see her serving looks, but that's more about me than anything that has to do with her. Her job is to serve the American people. And if she is going to help us get out of this COVID nonsense and this economic hardship and this racial reckoning and this Trump insurrection and everything else that's going wrong with America, she could wear whatever the hell she wants. I do not care. However, when you are on the cover of Vogue, you should look like you are on the cover of Vogue. And I say this more so for the editors and Vogue because Kamala Harris is not responsible for Vogue's brand. She is responsible for being the second person in charge of running the United States. That's her job. Vogue got their job. And what they did to Kamala Harris on the initial cover that they released was not doing a good job. Kamala Harris showed up in her Kamala Harris outfit. Her black suit, the one that she wore on the cover, did not look like it had seen a steamer or a tailor. And it needed, it needed that. The cover of a magazine is not everyday life. You bring in the best of the photographers. You bring in the wardrobe department. You've got all the lights. You've got the whole setup. Like, it's a production. And it should look like a production. And when Vogue puts their favorite white women on the cover, it looks like a production. When you put the vice president-elect, Madame Kamala Harris, on the cover of Vogue, it should also look like a production. Now, I understand that we're in an economic crisis and that 370,000 people have died. And there was an insurrection at the White House. This is not the time to go high glamour and $10,000, $20,000 ball gowns. But there is a vast gray area that can look beautiful and regal and, yes, even glamorous between a ball gown and a random Michael Kors suit and some chucks with some wrinkled fabric draped in the background. The fabric was pink and green, which I'm going to take as a nod to her sorority. She's an AKA or a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Don't come for me, y'all. Don't come for me. I appreciated the nod to her sorority, but I also think as as the first African-American sorority, you show it more deference than some wrinkled curtains. The cover that I'm describing is the print cover. And when it was released on Sunday and the internet went apeshit because they were like, what is this? What is this? The photographer for the cover is the same guy that did Beyonce's cover. Remember Beyonce wanted her own photographer for the cover of Vogue. She went and got a young black dude. So Vogue went back and got the young black dude and was like, well, you know, you did Beyonce, so can you do Kamala too? And he did. 
I don't even fault him for that cover because the cover looks like a test shot. The vice president-elect is not even looking in the camera. The image is grainy. It looks like it was taken on an old iPhone. Kamala Harris's stance evokes nothing. The look on her face is just weird. Robin Gavon, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer from the Washington Post, she weighed in on the cover. She weighed in on the cover, and I thought she had a great take. She said, the cover did not give Kamala D. Harris due respect. It was overly familiar. It was a cover image that, in effect, called Harris by her first name without invitation. She continued, there's nothing inherently wrong with this picture, and in some ways, it's an audacious way of depicting this new political era and its break with the past. The problem is that it's on the cover. The picture isn't juxtaposed with one of constituents or staff or family. She's a woman alone in sneakers sharing space with the Vogue brand. Now, Robin does note that the photographer, Tyler Mitchell, is black, and he was the first black photographer to shoot a Vogue cover. And she also notes that the editor in charge of the shoot is also black, which shocked me. I would not have expected that there was a black woman over this shoot. And I would think that a black woman would have a greater understanding for the magnitude of the moment and also the significance of the colors. Gavon goes on to say, Harris styled herself. She chose her ensembles, but it was ultimately Vogue and its editor-in-chief, Anna Wintour, that selected the cover. A note about that cover, which I didn't mention earlier. The cover that I've been describing is not the cover that Kamala Harris and her team agreed to. When you are a person who is big enough to be on the cover of a magazine, especially a bigger magazine, you do get cover approval. You can't necessarily yay what you want, but you can nay what you don't want. It's not a formal, contractually bound sort of thing. It's more like a courtesy. But because this big name person has agreed to be on your big name cover, it's best if you have synergy. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So that's what happened in the case of, I don't remember which magazine it was, but Kerry Washington was really upset because she was on the cover and they lightened her. And she was like, I ain't that light. I'm a brown-skinned woman from the Bronx. Why are you making me so light? And so she came out and talked about it. I remember there was a cover of Vibe with Mary J. Blige once, and it just wasn't a flattering photo. But Mary J. Blige was really upset, and she was like, hey, I've done this magazine cover 50 million times. Like, why would y'all set me up like this? It happens. This is a case where it happened here. I will also tell you this. When I first saw the cover... I didn't say much about it because I know that when you are shooting a cover, especially of a politician, they don't like to seem indulgent and they also don't have a lot of time. I remember when Barack Obama was on the campaign trail, a magazine was able to shoot him for the cover story. They only had 15 minutes, so they had to have everything set up before he arrived. When he walked on set, the cameras were all set up and he gave them 15 minutes and he was gone. So when I first saw the cover of Vogue, I thought, okay, maybe this is one of those instances where you only got 15 minutes with the subject and chemistry just wasn't there. And here are the images that we have and we have to select the best one. That I can understand. We can't just toss it out. So we're going to make the best of the situation at hand. That makes sense to me. But that's not the case here. Back to Gavon. In using the more informal image for the print edition of the magazine, Vogue robbed Harris of her roses. 
A bit of awe would have served the magazine well in its cover decisions. Nothing about the cover said, wow, and sometimes that's all black women want, an admiring and celebratory wow over what they have accomplished. Gavon talks about the significance of the covers, that they are, quote, neither glamour shots or journalistic ones. They exist in the in-between. They mark history and capture the woman who breathes life into the title of vice president. But these pictures also help to craft a mythology, in this case, about a black woman and power in America. The story that Vogue was so eager to tell is the fact that this American daughter of a Jamaican father and an Indian mother is now breathing in the most rarefied air of all. Their formalities, every last one of them, apply to her. Why the urge to dispense with them so quickly? I agree. I think that's probably like what my core issue is with the cover. They should have gone all out and given her the Vogue treatment. They're going to create an iconic shot of you that's going to be seen everywhere. That's what I wanted for her. That's not what they gave her. They did, however, give her a second cover. She's got on a, um, a powder blue suit and it's a gold and yellow background. It's pretty. It's more in line with the Vogue brand. It says Madam Vice President with an exclamation point. Kamala Harris and the New America. It's, it's very dignified. It's very simple. It looks more like what I would expect for maybe the cover of Time. Something very serious. Like Vogue is a fashion brand. It's allegedly the fashion brand. And Kamala Harris looks fine. It's a, it's a pretty portrait of her. Her hair looks nice. Her face looks nice. She looks strong and confident, but still friendly. Like it's a good portrait. It's not bad. It's just not like, woo, off the charts. Which is what Robin Gavon is saying. Like, why the urge to dispense with the vogueness? Because you do it for all your white cover stars. The black women who grace your cover deserve it too. So in conversations about this cover, people have kept saying they was like, well, Essence would never. I'm going to say this. And yes, I'm biased because I used to work at Essence forever in a day. I would be shocked. And I have no insider information on this. I know that the Essence cover is supposed to drop this week. And I can't tell you how I know that. And it's not from anyone at Essence. I would be shocked if Kamala Harris was not on the upcoming cover of Essence. And again, without any insight whatsoever, I would be shocked if Essence didn't put her on the cover in her Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated colors. I also just want you to know I had to do three takes to say that right because my braces are getting in the way. I also saw people saying, well, Andre Leon Talley would never. I, I, actually, I too thought Andre Leon Talley would never. It turns out Andre Leon Talley would. This is what Andre Leon Talley said. And just FYI, it didn't go over well. He posted on Instagram. It's long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Quote, I submit the Vogue cover of our historically and monumentally first black and immigrant vice president elect Kamala Harris. It's great. Just great. Great. He says she selected her personal wardrobe choices. Her work uniform with her ubiquitous Converse sneakers is aspirational. I predict it's going to set a trend for all young women all over the world are going to dress like Kamala Harris. Not everyone evolves wishing to be a screen star or a music vixen. There are girls who will see this cover something wonderful. He says the black photographer comes from a universe that is new. He is not aligned with the titans of Vogue photographers before him. His work must be seen through the prism of 2021. 
We are, after all, dealing with serious issues, the global pandemic, the sudden horror of domestic terrorism. Both the digital and print covers are superb. Knitting controversy is utterly ridiculous. He goes on to say, excellence is required, and while fashion is always the core issue, yet the cultural pendulum swings. After all, no one is wearing a stiletto every day during COVID. Madam Vice President-elect has a lot of work to do, and she is not thinking every day about how she is looking. Her mere strength, her determination, and her goals to work for all Americans is foremost. A simple black jacket, a t-shirt, a simple strand of pearls, and her beautiful hair, her smile, her warmth, suggest all the elegance one desires. Hmm, he concludes, all I can say is Anna Wittor is not abdicating, and I wish I were there at Vogue to celebrate with the team. I think that's why people said he kissing Anna Wintour's ass and trying to get his job back. And which I don't agree with that. He also just dropped a campaign for UGG. So sir is getting a check. I just, I recognize that Andre Leon Talley is a fashion god. I also wear chucks more often than I do not. If you scroll through my Instagram, especially when I'm on vacation, I have on the same chucks that Kamala Harris is wearing on the cover of Vogue. My objection to the first cover is not that she's wearing chucks on the cover of Vogue. It's, it's a grainy picture that's unstyled with a wrinkled background. Come on, y'all. And I say all this not to speak against Kamala Harris. I say this to speak against Vogue. It's the cover of Vogue. Literally, the tagline on the cover of that pink and green issue is by the people, for the people, the United States of fashion. And then you have the vice president-elect standing there in the most unfashionable of stances in the most unfashionable of black suits. Y'all can go find a good black suit to put the vice president in. Come on. Come on. It's Vogue. Please, Essence, come through. Please. And now it's time to talk about the shit show that is America. On our last episode, we talked about the, the insurrection, the coup that occurred at the White House last Wednesday. It's been almost a week later. There's much fallout from that incident, which was way worse than what we knew last week. I did not realize last week when I spoke to you that the senators and representatives had come so close to harm. My thinking was the Capitol was breached and all of the Congress people were immediately removed and went to bunkers and they weren't in any threat of real harm. Come to find out, of a, there, was a, there was a video circulating last week of a mob storming into the Capitol. And there was a lone black police officer and the mob was charging against him. And he turned around and ran up the steps. And then he confronted the mob again. They're not backing down. And he turns around and keeps running up the steps. And he's on his walkie-talkie calling whoever. And I think I mentioned him last week. As it turns out, that black officer was leading a mob away from a door that led to the Senate floor where senators were still on the floor and that door was unprotected by anyone. So when he was leading that mob up the steps, if the mob had gone to the right, they would have been able to enter the Senate floor and they could have done God knows what to the senators who were still present. That's frightening. But he led them away and up the stairs to where more police officers were. God bless him. God bless him. His name is Eugene Goodman. God bless him. But the stories that have been coming out from inside the Capitol, 
from Congress, from the legislative aides, from journalists who were inside are insane. CNN did a special over the weekend about inside the Capitol, inside the insurrection or something like that. So when security evacuated the House and Senate chambers, they only took the members of Congress. The legislative aides were on their own. So most of them went up to the congressional offices and barricaded the doors and hid in there. There was a there was a story about a group of legislative aides, and I don't remember which congressman they were for. I didn't write it down. They locked themselves in a conference room and they barricaded the doors and they hid under a table in the dark for two and a half hours as these animals were raging and roaming through the Capitol. And this one woman was recording on her cell phone and you can hear the banging at the door. That's so scary. We talked last week about essentially property damage. I had no idea that so many people's lives, even the police, were in jeopardy. Last week when I recorded, they hadn't made the announcement about the officer who died. One of the officers was hit in the head with, as the New York Times and AP reports, with a fire extinguisher by the mob. There's also a video of the mob attacking a police officer. They pull him into the crowd and someone is beating him with the pole with the American flag attached. There's another video of a police officer being crushed in a door. What happened to all that Blue Lives Matter? Y'all are killing cops, beating cops, torturing cops. Last week, we talked about the gallows that were set up outside the Capitol. And I thought it was just like white people doing crazy white shit. You know, like the burn crosses and shit to scare black people. I I thought they were setting up the gallows just to, you know, be sadistic and whatnot. Turns out, turns out, these mofos are marching up to the Capitol, trying to get inside, screaming, hang Pence, hang Pence. They wanted to hang the vice president of the United States. There's another video talking about they want Pelosi. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, the president was sitting in a dining room of the White House watching all this crazy shit unfold. He knew those crazy mofos were outside the Capitol. He knew Mike Pence was inside with his family. And he encouraged those crazy mofos to go after Mike Pence, his vice president. It's bad enough he did it to everybody else. Mike Pence has been beyond loyal to that man in a way I will never understand. It's strange. But literally, he tried to have Mike Pence killed. I'm like, that's nuts. You know what it's even more nuts than the president trying to have Mike Pence killed? In the aftermath of all of this, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has been like, he cannot get away with this. The president. Either Mike Pence has to enact the 25th Amendment where the vice president and his cabinet come together and tell the president he has to go. If Mike Pence is not willing to do that, if the president is not willing to resign, which Trump would never, then we in the House are going to start the impeachment process and Donald Trump will be the first president of the United States to be impeached twice. You know what? You know, Mike Pence is like, nah, not going to do that. People went to talk to Pence and they were like, Pence, like this is really something you should consider because he's crazy and he tried to have you killed. Quote and unquote sources came back and were like, Pence says he'll keep it as an option in case things get more crazy. More crazy? More crazy? 
Dude, dude, they just stormed the Capitol. And the motherfucker tried to have you killed. If you don't even care about them storming the Capitol, if you're like, oh, you know, it's just property, like, you know, people are more important than things. He tried to have you killed. He sent people to attack a building and he knew you, your wife, and your daughter, and I think one other member of his family, like your immediate family, not like your cousins visiting from out of state, your wife, man, your daughter, man, and you, man. Mike was like, ah, no. Also, Trump never called to ask Pence, like, bro, you okay? Even after everything settled down, he didn't call to check on him. He didn't call to check on his family. The man is your vice president. Like, I know you just tried to have him killed, but he survived. To your knowledge, you don't even call the man to see if he's okay? According to reports, they didn't speak for almost a week. So we're in a global pandemic. We're in an economic crisis. And there's an attempted coup. And the president and vice president of the United States are not speaking. What the fuck is going on? I do you not one better, almost as good. Yesterday, the head of Homeland Security resigned. Let me tell you about one other thing that happened yesterday. You watch CNN like I do, so you're aware. I'm just putting the pieces together. On the same day that the head of Homeland Security, the acting, acting head, he wasn't official, the acting head of Homeland Security resigned, the FBI goes public with a notice that, hey, y'all, just so you know, there are armed protests planned at the Capitol and all 50 states coming January 20th. There's also another massive Trump protest planned for January 17th in D.C. After hearing this news, the head of Homeland Security resigns that afternoon. And he said he didn't want to resign. He said there was some like legalese stuff with making him official. This administration is up in nine days. Y'all couldn't just let the man keep the job for nine days? No. So he's out. That's like the fourth or fifth resignation from the cabinet. And Pence won't even round up who's left trying to get this mofo out of office. I just, we are so screwed right now. We are so, so screwed. I should have talked about this at the beginning of talking about politics this week. Can I just make a quick note? So in the aftermath of the insurrection, since the government is slow to act, Private businesses have stepped up to stop Trump. In light of the insurrection, Facebook and Instagram have banned him indefinitely, at least until the election. Twitter had put Trump on a 12-hour ban and then came back and was like, on second thought, you're banned for life. So in the wake of Trump being banned, I'm holding my tongue, people... Lots of people, not just one specific person, but lots of people have started talking about the First Amendment, which guarantees American citizens the right to free speech. A lot of people did not pay attention in civics class. It's becoming more evident every day. The First Amendment of the United States does protect the right of free speech. But there's two things, two important things about that right. It protects you from persecution by the U.S. government for things that you say. So free speech gives me the right to say 
Donald Trump is a domestic terrorist and not be prosecuted by the U.S. government for saying that. Fine. There's a reason that last week when I talked about being banned from Facebook, I didn't go on some rant about my First Amendment rights and my right to free speech. Because Facebook is not the U.S. government. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, even Pinterest banned President, even Pinterest banned the occupant. They were like, don't come over here with your fashion ideas or your hair ideas or your, your home decor, decor, your vacation ideas. We don't want that shit over here either. Pinterest. Okay. None of those are the U.S. government. Trump's rights to free speech are not being impeded on by private entities blocking him. He doesn't have a right to say whatever he wants on any of those platforms. No one does. And they should have actually blocked his ass years ago. But all of a sudden, all these First Amendment advocates and this right to free speech, no, he doesn't. Y'all are out here saying stupid shit without actually understanding what you're talking about. Read a goddamn book. Also, in the First Amendment, free speech, right? The Supreme Court has gone back and clarified exactly what the limits are on free speech. It doesn't mean you can just go around saying anything. The most popular example is you can't go into a crowded theater and yell fire when there is no fire because it will cause panic and alarm and people will get trampled and people will be hurt. Your right to free speech ends where it begins to infringe on other people's rights and especially their safety. Like... All of this information is in books. You can read them. You can read them. I'm going to assume you know how to do that if you can fix your fingers to type on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Read. Read, goddammit. Mm. The last thing that I want to talk about, the people who participated in the insurrection. They're finding out now that some of the people were former or current military. They're finding out that some of the people were off-duty police officers from other states. Two police officers, I'm not sure which police department they belong to, but two police officers who were working at the Capitol last Wednesday have been put on leave as police investigated why one of them put on a MAGA hat during the coup and another one was taking selfies with terrorists. Some of the some of the people who took pictures of themselves or allowed pictures to be taken sans masks, so they are easily identifiable. The FBI is looking for a bunch of people, and some of them have been identified, like the guy with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, the guy who was in the the buffalo outfit, um, some other people, the guy who was was holding Nancy Pelosi's lectern and walking it through the Capitol. Those three, at least have all been arrested, and many others as well. Some of them have done interviews. And the common thing in their interviews is a statement like, I should have used better discretion, or this is not who I am. Or in the case of the Buffalo guy, he was like, well, you know, did I do something wrong? Because the president told us to come, and then the president told us to go to the Capitol, like, 
I literally did what the president said. Like, what's the problem? And it's just like this complete disconnect from the magnitude of what they did. It's like they don't get that you just staged a coup at the Capitol and we're calling for the death of the vice president and speaker of the house. You didn't just like go to Vegas and like get too high in a strip club. It's like they have no understanding of the magnitude. I should have used better discretion. That's some shit you say like when you throw up at a bar. I shouldn't have had that last drink. I, I should have used better judgment. That's shit you say when you get pulled over for speeding. Not for when you participate in a coup. The guy in the buffalo costume, he got arrested and he was sitting in jail. His mother said, well, he hasn't been eating since he got arrested because he only eats organic. Nigga, what? You're in jail. You're in jail requesting organic food? You know these motherfuckers gave him organic food, y'all. You know these motherfuckers gave him organic food, y'all. The man participated in a coup at the Capitol. He is seen in the chambers of either the Speaker or the House. He's on the balcony, so I can't tell you which one. He is one of the most popular faces of the coup. But you know they gave that motherfucker organic food so he would eat? It's, it's good people. Hard-working, God-fearing, tax-paying people in this country who wait in food lines and take whatever they can get because they've lost their jobs due to COVID. They can't feed their families and they humble themselves and they go and get in food lines because they need assistance and they need help and they take whatever is in that box to feed their family. And this mofo staged a coup on the goddamn Capitol and is eating organic in jail. Now I'm all for decent treatment of prisoners. I'm all for nourishing food for prisoners. You've done a bad thing, but you're still a human and you should be treated like one. But organic fucking food? I'm mad he had the audacity to request it. And I'm definitely mad that they gave the shit to him. Like, sir, sir, the fuck is this? That is ratchet and respectable for the week. I have not covered everything because there's too much to cover. I will try to get what we have not covered into Friday's episode. Hopefully nothing else crazy happens. Today is the 12th. All hell is supposed to break loose on the 17th. If we could just keep it calm for five days. I'm not even asking the hell don't break loose because that's just an unreasonable request at this point. Like I know the country I live in. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ratchet and Respectable. There is still merch on the site if you would like to support DemetriaLLucas.com. It's mostly the smaller sizes at this point. So the hoodies, all we've got is extra small. Sweatshirts are extra small and small. Tees are extra small. And V-necks are extra small to large. Literally, there are three flasks left. The mugs, I actually got a few more in yesterday, but they sold out, like, immediately. 
If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe so you can get notifications when the new episodes come up. Once again, we are Tuesday and Friday, no longer just Thursday. So we will talk again on Friday. I think that's everything. Okay, bye.